I began last week's message, the month of September, by saying, in this month, we are going to see decisions of faith made. And of course, we're hoping and praying that people make decisions of faith every week, whether for salvation or recommitment or drawing closer to the Lord or for baptism or like this morning for baby dedication. But as we are recognizing the Lord's great provision for us at River Church, and I ran through briefly last week on how the Lord has provided mightily for us, we are exploring the scripture to determine, to discover what is the appropriate response when God has blessed us by providing for us, whether it be as a church or as a family or as an individual, what is the appropriate biblical response? And we saw that last week that in response to God's provision, we see from the scripture, we see from the order of creation that God, within his provision for us, for his church, for his people, has a portion that he reserved for himself. And it's not that he needs anything, it's that when he provides for his people, he's not just meeting their immediate needs, but he's also meeting the needs of his kingdom, and he's also meeting the needs for the future of his people as well. And so we saw last week from the Garden of Eden that God provided everything, the place for Adam and Eve, and he also provided the trees of knowledge and wisdom, uh, of good and evil, and the tree of life, and that that was his portion that was set apart for him. And we saw that it wasn't that we aren't supposed to consume from those trees, it's that we weren't supposed to consume from those trees yet, that were promised in the book of Revelation, that every tree of the garden would be available for us to consume. And so, but for now, we have to recognize that even as God has provided us everything, that there is a portion that is determined, or we set aside, or in respect, that is holy for him. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're talking about, so now what? So now that we recognize that God has provided everything for us and that from within his provision, there's a portion that is holy to him, what is our correct response? What's kind of interesting is when it comes to a baby dedication, we intuitively know how to pray prayers of faith. Because what didn't happen this morning is that Evan's mom and dad, Gary and Trish, didn't stand up this morning and pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that Evan would grow up to be tall and strong and that in time he would marry a beautiful redhead and would pop out at least three charming children and that he would have a beard of lustrous wonder. Like, they didn't pray that prayer this morning. Why? There's no faith in that prayer at all. It's already happened. They have that son, he has that wife, he has those children, and he has that beard. And so there's no, there's no faith in praying that kind of prayer over Trish's baby, Evan. That wasn't what it was about. Another silly prayer would have been something along this. We pray that baby Atlas can live a life of wanton indiscretion for as long as he wants, right up until his dying breath. And then he makes a deathbed conversion and is accepted into your kingdom and receives the word of the saints. Like we would never pray that prayer over a baby. Because we know that there is a joy that comes with walking with the Lord from the time that you're young. So we're not praying at a baby dedication for a deathbed conversion. We're praying that that child makes a decision of faith early because there is so much blessing in the life of that young one. The sooner they come to humble themselves before the Lord and understand their need for salvation, the sooner the Lord is going to begin to bless and empower that child through the power of the Holy Spirit. So intuitively as parents, we know that there is a priority to our prayers when it comes to babies. We don't pray goofy prayers over kids that are already raised, and we don't pray goofy prayers over babies concerning their dying day. We pray prayers of power and promise over that little one looking forward now. We prioritize prayers of faith 
early. This is what we're going to see in the response. That is the correct response to God's provision. That when God provides, we prioritize the holiness of that situation. Uh, Join me, if you have your Bibles this morning, in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 1 through 7. We're, interestingly enough, at least I find it interesting, I hope you do as well, we are taking our financial principles from the book of Genesis. These things are not rooted yet in the teachings of Jesus. These things are not rooted in the Old Testament law. These things are rooted in the order of creation and the very nature of God. That's how important and how powerful these principles are. And of course, it's not just about our money. It's about everything that the Lord has provided for us. But this morning, our text continues to be from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Uh, The words are also on the screen, if you like. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, please notice that statement, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. I'm going to pause here real quick because I want to point out a couple of things in the text. Actually, just one big idea right now, which is they were recognizing the Lord's portion, right? They were recognizing that God had provided them with everything, including the byproduct of the fruits of their labor. And so Cain was recognizing that God had provided him something, uh, the fruit of the ground, and Abel was recognizing that God had provided him something as well, an expansion of his herdsmanship. And so they were bringing offerings to the Lord, recognizing the Lord's portion. God had given them everything, but some of it they were going to set aside for the Lord's purposes. Continuing in the second half of verse 4. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is a very powerful text, and it's very mysterious. And so I want to tread cautiously here with this text and just kind of pull out big and obvious ideas without really going too crazy. Because again, books have been written on this, and we are talking about the foundational principles of creation and theology. Uh, And I don't claim to be a master of either, but I do want to pull out some of the big ideas from this text. Number one, we see that Cain and Abel are presenting an offering to the Lord out of respect for the Lord's portion. It was obvious from the day of creation, basically, that God had provided everything, and from that everything, there was to be a portion reserved for God's purposes. Cain and Abel understood this. They understood it, and they were observing this. Second thing, they were bringing from the fruits of what the Lord had blessed them with by the work of their hands. Um, And so, one was a farmer, one was a herdsman. There was nothing intuitively evil, at least according to this text or any other place in the Bible, about the offering themselves. It wasn't that Abel offered an inherently better offering because it was a sheep or a goat, and that Cain offered a worse offering because it was just from wheat or fruit of the 
no indication of that in the text whatsoever, nor is there any indication of that anywhere else in the biblical text. In fact, we find that during the temple period, where offerings were being presented regularly by the nation of Israel, that God commands them to bring both types of offerings. There were times for wheat offerings and grain offerings and offerings of oil and incense, and there were times for animal sacrifices as well. So there's nothing intrinsically evil about Cain's offering. Well, from the text, You know, if we're only so passionate about the gospel, as ice cream drivers are about ice cream, right? Every time we pull up into a friend's driveway, we play the gospel song. Oh, turn it off. We know already. Like, if they're only that passionate. Oh, my goodness, that was funny. Uh, nothing intrinsically evil about what the actual offerings were. But what do we see from the text? What clues do we have from the text? Because we see it's not necessarily that Cain sinned. What does the Lord tell Cain? Sin is crouching at your door. If you do what is right. So he did something, but it wasn't considered right in the eyes of the Lord. But the Lord falls, doesn't quite call it sin. He just says, do what is right. Because if you don't do what is right, sin is waiting for you. So we have to look back at the offerings, at what they actually did, and try and determine what was it that caused the Lord to look with favor, acceptance of Abel and his offering, and not Cain, because we know that Cain goes on to make a, a, a tragic decision and is then isolated not just from uh, people, but also from the Lord's presence. And uh, we know where the story goes with Cain and Abel. So what was the difference in their offerings? Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And then the text continues, and Abel also presented an offering, and there's a, there's a delineation made. You're supposed to have your attention drawn to the next phrase in the text. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The only difference that we see, obviously, from this text, and there's no other text that disputes what I'm about to share with you, is that there was a timing to what they gave. You see that? In the course of time, when it was convenient, as it occurred to Abel, or to Cain rather, he gave some of the produce of the land. An indiscriminate, no respect of first fruits at all in the text. With Abel, we see, the text records, some of the firstborn of his flock. Why would the Lord jump all over that, essentially as an indicator of the heart of the person who's making the offer. Because this is what, when the Lord doesn't look with favor on the offering that Cain brought, it's not like Cain goes, oh, shucks, and goes back out to farming. He feels personally rejected. He feels vengeful. He feels like now he's in some kind of a competition, and he goes and handles business. So we have to understand that the offerings reflect the heart of the person who gave the offering. The only difference we can see in the quality of offering is that Abel gave of the firstborn, whereas Cain just gave of some of. And it's easy to miss that in the text, but it's the only difference that we have. Why do we can then say, why is it then that I feel confident preaching that there is an importance or priority to the offering, that there's something about giving the first that is holy 
whereas giving of something that is not. That the Lord actually, that the person who made the offering in the Genesis chapter 4 account either felt accepted or rejected by the Lord's acceptance or rejection of their offering. And here's the big idea. If it's first, it's by faith. You see, when Cain gave some, he already knew he had a crop. When Abel gave the first, there was no guarantee of a second. You see that? The difference between the first fruits and some. There is a priority. So when we recognize God's provision, God has given us everything, and we know that some of it is holy to Him to provide for other people or to provide for future people, we understand now that there's also a priority to God's portion. That, according to this text, it comes first. Why? If it's first, it's by faith. If it's just from some other part of the provision, we don't know what it's from. Maybe it's faith. Maybe it's not. An illustration would be helpful. What the biblical text goes on to say, eh, we'll cover that in a minute. Illustration. Once upon a time, Trish and I were missionaries flying aircraft in Haiti in the Dominican Republic. Every chance we got, we would uh, live in Haiti for as long as we could. And when Benaiah was born, we brought him. And we love, 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 love our time with these wonderful servants of God who are serving in very difficult circumstances oftentimes under-resourced, completely dependent, as we were at the time, on uh, money that people donated to us because we didn't receive a regular paycheck. And so these people were living by faith in Haiti, serving in a very difficult and impoverished country, and we loved spending time with them because we learned things from them that we just couldn't learn uh, being missionaries living in the United States ourselves. So we were spending some time with Don and Karen Davis, who were serving in Cap Haitian, had been there for a long time. We were spending a few days of the better part of a week with them. And Don and Karen were telling us about what it was like being a missionary in Haiti and some of the frustrations or the challenges uh, that they discovered. Specifically, I would ask, how can Missionary Flights International, how can MFI, how can I as a missionary pilot serve you better? You know, are there things that we can do that can remove some frustration in your life and be a blessing to you? And they said, you know, I don't know if there's anything we can do about this, but we're going to share something with you that is absolutely insane. And it was meant as a blessing, but to us it felt like a curse. Okay. It has to do with the priority that we give to our offerings to the Lord. Listen to what they told us. We couldn't believe it. In fact, we didn't believe it. Uh, They went to the airport to receive their mail from Missionary Flights International. They had to pay money to have it shipped over. It's 41 cents a pound for their mail to come. And once upon a time, they received a box from a church in uh, Minnesota area, I believe. So it cost them 41 cents a pound for that box to be flown by me or one of my buddies from West Palm Beach, Florida to Cap Haitian, Haiti. Then they had to clear that box in through customs in Cap Haitian. And so they had to pay another tax. So, I mean, it wasn't a lot, but all said and done, they probably had 5 to $10 of their own money wrapped up in this box that was sent to them from a church in Minnesota. Because it's hard for churches to realize that just because the box made it to the hangar in Florida, that that wasn't all the money that was required to get it from there across the Bermuda Triangle into Capation. So sometimes they would spend extra money, sometimes they wouldn't. This church did not. So they get their box, and amongst the, the, the loving things that they had provided in that box, they pulled out a one-gallon baggie that 
was filled with mold. I'm like, what? Yeah, a one-gallon Ziploc bag that was filled with mold. And as they opened it up and dumped it out outside or someplace safe, they saw that this church from Minnesota had sent them a pound of gently used tea bags. They'd only been used once. Little note. We only used these tea bags once. Still makes a pretty good cup of tea. We thought that it would be a blessing to you. And Trish and I are like, no, 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 no. Tell us some other crazy story because that's the craziest thing we've ever heard. How could that be intended as a blessing when it's already been consumed? You already had a cup of tea with it. Why on earth would you think that a gently used tea bag collected over a month with all of its moist brothers and sisters in a Ziploc bag would be a, considered a blessing to anybody. It's a bag of mold by the time it got to the mission field, a bag of mold that had cost that missionary couple five to ten dollars for that blessing. We're like, you guys must be full. We're young. We were in our early 20s. Gullible as the day is long. You know, whatever. The laws changed in the United States in the months and years to come, whereby as a shipping entity, which Missionary Flight International was, we then had to begin providing a manifest of what was in each box that we had to send overseas. Which meant until the churches got word that they needed to include a manifest, we would have to open every box that came, about a million pounds a year, and inspect the contents, write a manifest, put it on the top so that it would obey the customs and immigration laws in the United States. Wouldn't you know it, two months later, we discovered another Ziploc bag full of used tea bags. So as a special present today, oh yes, I did. Look at this. I'll even rinse it out in my sweaty little hand for you so it's not quite so drippy. Who just would feel the blessing of the Lord on their life? Who would have a cup of tea and say, I'm going to use it as an offering? It's done being used up. It was good until I consumed it. Now it's not an offering. It's a curse. Who wants a used tea bag? The lesson that we see from Genesis is that when we give to the Lord from what's left over, we're missing an important part of the Lord's provision in our life. We don't pray for Evan when we're dedicating his baby. He's already what he is. And we're not praying for deathbed conversions. Because we, we know that the, that the child would miss the joy of a life of faith from his from the earliest time of his youth. When we, what, the reason Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God is because he gave without guarantee of ever being able to pay his bills. He gave without guarantee of ever being able to grow his life. When you give away, when Abel gave away what came first, there's no guarantee that that sheep or that goat or that cow or whatever is ever going to have another baby. And if they do, there's no guarantee that they're going to be fruitful. That's the holiness of the first fruits offering. That's the holiness of prioritizing God's portion 100% by faith. That first fruit 
presented Abel's sacrifice. And the Lord accepted his offering because he saw a heart that was contrite. And then the Lord provided the answer. Cain said, I've already had a cup of tea. I can throw it away. Or I could send it to somebody. That is only marginally helpful. Right? And, and I know it's an extreme example. But that's probably not a, the best indication of Cain's heart. He was making an offering. But what we, what we, as a church, get to see uh, the powerful lesson is that regarding the Lord's portion, there is a priority to what we respect or what we call holy. And that we give to him first. Because what's first is in faith. 100% guaranteed. Because there's no guarantee of ever getting another paycheck. There's no guarantee of having the health to go to work the next day. There's no guarantee of having a job. There's no guarantee about tomorrow whatsoever. So when we give from what comes first, it's 100% a decision of faith absolutely received from the Lord as a decision of faith. Let me show you what actually happens when we prioritize the Lord's portion by regarding our offering to Him from the first of our income and not from what's left over. So that's, that's break down here very, very specifically, uh, good-hearted people all the time, and I'm going to address this later on in the sermon, so don't carry any, I don't want anyone to feel bad about anything right now at all, because that, that, there's a powerful lesson for us in the text. But what happens commonly is that good-hearted people make decisions of faith, they start coming to church, and obviously they know they should contribute to the work of the kingdom, and so they kind of pay all their bills, and they work their budget, and they do all the things, and they see what they have left over. And then they take some of that or all of that, depending, and that's what they give to the Lord. And praise the Lord for that, right? It's, it's not a huge defect. It's, it's not that. That's an extreme example. But it's also not the first fruits. And what I want to try and impart to us this morning is the power and how God views when we determine to set aside an amount of what he has provided for us as holy to him and give it first, understanding that what is first is by faith. Take a look at Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Look at the spiritual principle here. Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles, but listen to this spiritual principle in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, because he uses an illustration from the time of Genesis to make his point. Now, if the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Let me read that again. Now, if the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Do you see the promise that Paul is referring to here in the text? This is how God views. When Abel came with the first of his newborn, whatever it was he, he was hatching that day, seeds, goats, whatever. There's no guarantee of subsequent hatchings. The Lord then continued every other creature that was born under Abel's care as holy. If the first fruit is holy, set apart, not consumed, given to the Lord, recognized as God's, God, you've given me everything, but you reserve a portion for yourself to provide for your people, to provide for our future. I will not consume it. I will care for it. This is yours. All of it's yours. But this specifically, I'm returning 
to you, when that happens, when the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. Every lamb in Abel's flock was then considered holy, was then blessed. None of Cain's problem. Why? He did not give priority to God's portion. He just gave their work to do. After he paid all of his grain bills, after he bought his seed for next year, after he upgraded his equipment, after he did all the things that he needed to do with the value that came from that crop, he had a little something-something left over, and from that, he then made an offering to the Lord. It was a great indicator of his heart. And whether he was ignorant or willful, we don't know. What we know is that sin was crouching at the door. And then he went and made a poor decision where he had an opportunity to repent. So we see from the biblical text that when God's portion is given first, holiness pervades God's provision. Let me say that again. When God's portion is given first, holiness pervades God's provision. Now I'd like to show you the anti-feedback illustration. You ready? Anti-feedback. It's a slip of green paper from the United Congregational Church in Norwich, Connecticut, written by a boy who is old enough to want a job but young enough to have an allowance. We have some men like that in this church. It's something that we all go through. We really, really, really wish we had driver's license and could earn real money, but we're not that old, and mom and dad are still giving us an allowance. We're still that young. That's the time of life this young man was in. There's a, it's a pledge card, and it says, I expect to give to my church during the coming year $1.70 per week. Or $6.80 per month, or $88.40 per year. Whoever this guy was, he obviously had control issues. Who's that weird and exact? So obviously it's me, right? Pledge cards from the early 80s. Here's what you don't know I didn't make $17 a week allowance in the early 80s. I made $17 a week every two weeks in the early 1980s. Why? Because lunch at NFA was $1.70 a day, and my allowance was determined by what it would cost me to buy lunch every day. Or if I was something other than a lazy bum, I could make my lunch for free at home and bank $1.70 every day. Until I started dating hot blondes, I bought lunch every day. Then I started eating date money. Then I started making my lunch and thanking $1.70. Why does my pledge say $1.70 per week when I made $17 every two weeks? Because in my pride, there was no way I was going to give 85 cents a week as an offering. No way. I was not going to have the offering plate go by and I go clink, clink, clink with three quarters and a dime. Not happen. So I pledged a dollar seventy because then I could round up to two bucks and be cool. Because maybe the hot blonde church pastor's daughter would notice that I was bald in the office. 
you didn't notice? I'm saying control issues. Obviously problems, not the purest of parts. You know who noticed, though? My Heavenly Father. And there's a lot that I can say about my finances, and maybe there'll, there'll be another time where we can give a testimony of how the Lord has provided. But if I was to summarize how we feel about our finances from the time when we were teens, it can be summarized by one word. There's been something holy going on in our finances. And by holy, I mean the math doesn't always work. That the Lord provides for us in ways that we cannot see and honestly don't deserve. And it's not even necessarily uh, that we're, you know, amazing people or anything like that. It's just that when it comes to this kind of stuff, we've always prioritized the Lord's portion first. This, to me, is a lot more valuable than a wet tea bag. Do you see the difference in the two illustrations? One is viewed as a curse. And the other one, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wish I had that kind of opportunity as a kid. I wish I could look back on my finances and say that I haven't been just giving 10% to the Lord. I've been giving 20% to the Lord for the time being. Because then I have a feeling I have a different story about my finances. And that's the way I feel, that we have a different story, that there's a holiness to our finances. Not that we haven't ever experienced need or or concern about our finances, not that at all, but there is absolutely a different pervasive holiness. And we could, I could spend the rest of the morning giving illustration after illustration after illustration of how the Lord is provided. Because when God's portion is given first, holiness pervades all of God's provision. Because what comes first is God's first. This is the principle, the next lesson that we need to learn. Last week we learned that God provides everything and that he reserves a portion for himself. This week we're realizing that there is a priority to the portion that we give to the Lord. And it comes with holiness and blessing when we put it first because that's by faith because there's no guarantee of any other income coming our way. This is a very difficult sermon to preach because it's quite possible that there are a number of us that are feeling two things right now. Feeling one thing and struggling with this reality. And so let me help you with that. Because I, I, this is, I want everyone to feel the power of God in their finances uh, because this month we're making decisions of faith. Here's the first thing that some of us might be feeling right now, uh, and that is guilt. And you know what's crazy is that we might be sitting here thinking, well, I do give to the Lord, but man, I, I've been, you know, it's after we pay bills and, and whatever works out, and we do a little something, something, and, and you know, most months we're able to do that, and some months we're able to do a little bit more, and because uh, most of us do give. But now what's crazy, and this is this is evil, you shouldn't feel this way, some of us are feeling guilty because you're thinking, man, maybe I've been giving wet tea bags this whole time. That is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that maybe you didn't know about the priority that comes and the blessing and the holiness that comes from giving. Because as soon as I say what's first is by faith, you're like, oh yeah, that's the kind of prayer we pray for babies. Like, it's, it's almost in every area of our life. We get that. What's first is by faith, and, and that needs to be a priority. So don't feel bad if you didn't understand that or haven't been practicing that. That's not the point of this at all. The second thing that you might be experiencing right now is some kind of fear, because you're like, I, I want to, you know, I want to prioritize the giving. I see how that is. It's, we could probably make something like that work, and that's cool. But the problem is, is that we're racked by debt. And, 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 and the months that we're able to give something, it's because we have a little bit of breathing room in our, 
you know, credit card debt or some other debt that we're carrying. And so if I was to prioritize giving to the Lord above everything else, I have actual debt that cannot be serviced. And I just don't, it just keeps me, puts me in a, in a position of tension where I feel like I'm just living in guilt right now because I know now what should be happening. Now if you see it, I want that, uh, but I can't, I can't get there. So it's possible that some of us are feeling like that right now. And, and I want to help relieve that uh, feeling, if you're feeling that way. Two things, by way of practical application, that can help with that immediately. Number one, uh, debt is slavery. We're going to be talking more about that in weeks to come. If you are in debt and you find your heart burdened by it and you want to be free from it, this is why Kevin and Jenner offered Financial Peace University. Uh, nothing has been shown to be more helpful in freeing families from debt than this class. Uh, Kevin, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but what's the number off the top of your head that you personally have helped coach people to be debt-free from? $83,000 in the past two years, Kevin and Jen have coached families in this church how to be free from those burdens. How many credit cards have been cut off? 20 credit cards have been cut off. So as far as being free from debt, Financial Peace University is one of the best things out there, and they're starting this week or last. You can still get on board with that. So if you feel like you are a slave to debt, it's because that's the actual biblical understanding of debt. Debt is slavery. Free yourself from debt by making a decision today uh, to take a class that's going to coach you how to be freed from your short-term consumer debt. A second idea. Because what we need to do when it comes to our finances to prioritize our giving to the Lord, to, to get the blessing that we want, to, to be received like Abel's offering, where we're the kind of people that say, we don't know if we're ever going to get another paycheck, but you know what, this portion goes to the Lord, and by faith, we trust you to provide for us, that you will bless everything we receive when we give to you a small percentage of what you've given to us, is, is I know it sounds a little bit silly, but it's powerful, is you can build a fence around the relatively small amount of money in your budget. Bottom line is we all have a little bit of wiggle room. We all eat pizza every once in a while. And you can take a relatively small amount. Right? A real, don't be ashamed of taking a relatively small amount, build a fence around that amount, and by faith say, that amount is being pledged to the Lord's purposes. And as he prospers and as we are free from debt, we are going to reevaluate that. And that's exactly, that's a very biblical, holy process, and immediately you can begin to take steps of faith and be relieved from any guilt that you shouldn't feel, the Lord can begin to use a decision of faith like that to heal you from any guilt. Here's a third practical way, and I'm going to wrap up our time this morning, with why this first fruits concept is so passionate to the heart of God. I want to show you from the New Testament text the way he's thought about this for all of eternity. Third and final practical application, if you're feeling burdened uh, about your giving and you want to prioritize your finances in this way, as we've seen from the text this morning. That, what's cool is that that time at United Congregational Church, there was at least one, maybe two, maybe more, I don't know, young men and women who are making decisions of faith like that, who are now experiencing God's holiness in their finances. I happen to know for a fact that there are three to four to five hundred people that are doing that just physically. And if you want to, you know, say, well, what is an example of the holiness that you've experienced in your life? The Lord called me as a pastor. He entrusted me not with my own spiritual guiding and shepherding, but also with His. Because I've been found faithful in little. And now I have the opportunity. 
one young man from the early 80s got called. There are three, four, five, or six young men and women in this church right now who are fighting for marriage. So you're a parent, struggling with this concept, feeling a little guilty, racked with debt, not sure what to do. Do you give your child an allowance? Do you teach them to tithe? Because maybe they can experience in their childhood what we didn't have the opportunity to. That will help too, folks. And watch and see how the Lord restores and brings holiness to your child's finances and their life. As from the time of a young child, they learn to prioritize God's portion. They recognize it, and they prioritize it. Three ideas for restoring the holiness to our finances in response to this powerful principle that there is priority to God's portion. By way of conclusion, why does God make such a big deal of this? Doesn't just the amount matter? You know, if I give what I give, and I give it at the end of the month, after all the bills have been paid, or at the beginning of the month before the bills have been paid, why does God jump up and down on this like this? Let me show you why he jumps up and down on first verse. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 23. And uh, with this, we'll be concluded this morning. Paul speaking. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Catch this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first one to come back from the dead. What does his father view him as? The first fruits. Watch what happens when you place your faith in the first fruits and prioritize the first fruits. Holiness pervades everything else, right? Watch this. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterwards, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. It's a spiritual principle, people, regarding eternal life. God has felt this way passionately from before time began, that when people place their faith and prioritize Jesus Christ as the firstborn from the dead, holiness then covers his entire church. His people become holy. His people also receive the power to come back from the dead, to always be in the Lord's presence. This first fruits principle is a lot bigger than our finances. This first fruits principle is just something that we do with little things, right? Because at the end of the day, our finances are a little thing. It consumes a lot of our time, but scripturally, our money is just a little thing. Because in God's eyes, the first fruits principle is all wrapped up in how we are to view his son. That he is the first fruits, the firstborn from the dead, when we place our faith in him, we too receive the same holiness and power to come back to the grave that we experienced by Jesus Christ himself. And so this morning, regardless of how we feel about our finances, that's where we need to end. That's where we need to find our peace, our hope, and our joy. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time where we could explore a challenging concept in your word. And for some of us, it might be new. And for some of us, it might leave us feeling a little distant from you. Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to make the decisions of faith that we need to make so that we draw close to you. Heavenly Father, your word says in Romans chapter 8 that when we cry out, Abba, Father, for salvation, that the first fruits of our salvation is the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. 
that it is the sign of what is to come, that more powerful things are coming through the power of the Holy Spirit when we cry out for salvation. And so, Father, some of us this morning might be crying out for salvation, and I pray that they would receive the first fruits of that cry, and that they would be indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us might be crying out that we want to take a look at our finances in a different way and make decisions of faith and to prioritize your portion above every other thing. And Father, I pray that as families think about that, that you would relieve them from any guilt they might be feeling because they just didn't know, and that you would empower them to walk by faith, to be free from debt, and to experience the holiness that you intend for all of us, not just in our